The calms the stormy seas is calling me by name. I'm singing in the victory of the cross and resting in the shadow of your redeeming love. I'm standing on the cross, the promise of new life. I am yours forever, and Jesus, you are mine. Oh, Jesus, you are Stay. 
Good morning, church. Welcome to another week of online worship. We're going to begin our time with a corporate call to worship. I'll be reading from Psalm 92, and then you'll join me in response of Psalm 95, verses 1 through 2. It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Church, let's go to worship through song. And lost at the fall Running away when I hear you call Father, you worked your will I had no righteousness of my own I had no right to draw near your throne Father, you love me still And in love before you laid the world's foundation Predestined to adopt me as your own You have raised me up so high above my station I'm a child of God by grace and grace out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cost. Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone. Jesus, you paid my debt. By your blood I have redemption and salvation. Lord, you died that I might reap what you have sown. And you rose that I might be a new creation. I am born again by grace and grace alone. I was in darkness all of my life. I never knew the day from the night. The spirit you made me see. I swore I knew the way on my own Head full of rocks, a heart made of stone See that you moved in me Let your touch my sleep and spirit was awakened On my darkened heart the light of Christ is shown Calling to a kingdom that cannot be shaken Heaven see to save my grace and grace alone. So I stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach 
the end, my grace and grace alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are stilled, when striving cease My comfort, my all in all Here in the love of Christ I'll guests with us this morning. I'm Sean Harrelson, pastor teacher here at Crossway Fellowship. And we're glad you're here. I want to let the 
Crossway Fellowship family know that even though originally we were planning to uh, begin to reopen the church and gather again in phase three, we realized that uh, the state government has actually made provision for us to meet again under phase two, and so under uh, phase two of the Safe Start plan. And so we are making plans and want to let you know that it is our goal to regather again as a church on Sunday, July 5th. Sunday, July 5th. All right, now, of course, there are going to be some uh, continued restrictions under phase two in terms of how many people we can have here and all kinds of things. And so we as a leadership are already beginning to uh, figure out things that we need to change uh, being able to do a registration for folks to, to come to church if you want to be here so that we can gauge how many people actually want to come on Sundays. Um, we are going to have the building painted on the inside between now and then, which is a great thing, but it does delay it a little bit. That's one of the reasons. It's July 5th. Okay, so we're in planning mode. We are in meeting mode, and we're getting ready for that date. So we're grateful. We praise the Lord that he is beginning to open the doors again for us as a church. And we want you to know that we, apart from any details at this point, we at least want you to know that we are aiming for July 5th. And by God's grace, we will gather again starting that Sunday. Okay, so that's good news, right? I'm excited for that. And I'm sure you are as well. All right. Well, uh, we are studying God the Spirit on Sunday mornings, and I just want to say that the importance of understanding the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in your life might not be a given for everyone, uh, and some of this might seem somewhat academic, uh, some theological study, but I want you to know that there is a practical end in mind here. By understanding who God the Spirit is and His role in your life as a believer— his role in our life as a church body, as a community of faith, has a practical goal. And that is that we would more effectively uh, proclaim Christ, love others, obey the truth, and walk together. These are our core values here at Crossway Fellowship. And I believe that understanding how the Holy Spirit works and what his new covenant ministry is will equip us to do those things more effectively, more faithfully. All right, and this last one that I mentioned, walk together, is particularly important given what we're talking about this morning. Because when you place your faith in Christ and his death and resurrection, you are restored to a right relationship with God. And that right relationship is formed by a new covenant, what the Bible calls the new covenant. And it's a covenant that is activated and applied to your life and our lives as a body by the Holy Spirit. So first, you are baptized with the Spirit. That is, God has poured out His Spirit in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And that event, that work of the Spirit, extends to you and to me as we place our faith in Christ. And the Spirit of God restores us to God. And he does that through, first of all, revelation, revealing the gospel. 
convicting of a, uh, convicting us of sin, enabling us to see the gospel for what it is and to believe in it. He restores us to God by regeneration, that is giving us new life, eternal life, cleansing us from all sin and cleansing us from all guilt. He does this through indwelling us. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in every, uh, every Christian in the same way that he came to dwell in the temple and was God's presence among his people in the Old Testament. And he does this through sealing us. The Spirit's presence in your life seals you. That is, because the Holy Spirit indwells you, he keeps you until the day of redemption. He is a guarantee a deposit that secures your deliverance and eternal glory. These are all works of restoration. But just as the Holy Spirit restores each of us to God in this new covenant relationship, his work also includes making us a people. The Holy Spirit makes us God's people. He forms us into the people of God, or another way to put it is he incorporates us. He includes us. Because God is not just saving persons. He is saving a people for himself. It is the Holy Spirit's new covenant work to form that people from every tribe, every nation, and every language in the world. How does the Holy Spirit do this? How does the Holy Spirit take people and make them into a people? Let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the scriptures. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for all that you have done on our behalf, for dying for us, shedding your own blood, breaking your own body, that we might be restored to God. And Lord Jesus, we praise you that you were faithful to send the Spirit once you had returned to glory, to the right hand of the Father. And Holy Spirit, now you are with us, and we ask you to illuminate these texts of Scripture, texts that you have inspired for us, and help us to understand them, to cast all of our faith upon them, and to apply them as we, as we seek to, to be faithful your faithful people in the world. In your name we ask this. Amen. Now to be clear, this work of the Holy Spirit in incorporating us and making us the people of God is not a separate work from his restoring individuals to a right relationship with God. There, probably the best way to put it is this, there is no ministry to you as an individual that does not extend to the community in its effect, in its results. At the same time, so in other words, every work that the Spirit does in your life has a direct effect on the people of God as a community. At the same time, there is no corporate work of the Spirit that is not rooted in what the Spirit accomplishes in individuals. There isn't anything that the Spirit does in the community that he, he isn't accomplishing in the lives of individual Christians. Take, for example, a couple of texts that we talked about last time. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, where the Apostle Paul clearly identifies the church, the community, as God's temple in whom the Spirit dwells. And then just three chapters later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. Meaning that every individual believer's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit indwells every believer as God's temple. And the Holy Spirit indwells all believers together as God's temple. At the same time, the Bible does use certain words or uh, emphasizes certain truths that apply to specifically our uh, his community work, this making us the people of God. And those are the ones that we want to focus on this morning. And first, we find that the Holy Spirit makes us God's people by sanctifying us. Sanctifying us. To be sanctified means to be set apart, to be made sacred or holy. We often use the word sanctify or sanctification to describe the process of becoming holy. The process of growing in godliness. So, most of the time, we use sanctification to describe spiritual growth. The New Testament, though, actually uses the word sanctified or sanctification more often to speak of something that is already accomplished in our lives. When we become Christians, we are sanctified. We are already set apart unto God. And yes, we are sanctified as individuals, but especially we are sanctified as a people. Let's consider what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay, so we exiles are elect by a work of the triune God. I hope you see that here. It is the Father's foreknowledge. It is the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. And it is the sanctification of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's residence in our lives, His dwelling within us, sets us apart to God as a community of elect exiles. That's what Peter's saying. He's addressing us as that. When you received the Spirit, when I received the Spirit, that Spirit owns each of us, and that Spirit owns all of us, and sanctifies all of us as a people unto God. The same way that in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, there were certain vessels and certain ceremonies in the tabernacle and then in the temple. There were certain people, priests, who were set apart unto God. 
they were holy or they were made sacred unto God. They couldn't do certain things. They couldn't touch uh, they couldn't touch certain things. They couldn't go certain places. Vessels in the temple couldn't be used for other things other than these special designated sanctified purposes. That's really what Peter is drawing upon here in this image of being sanctified as God's people. We are set apart to God for special purposes. As he goes on to identify us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are a holy nation, a sanctified nation, a people for his own possession. Now, the Apostle Paul connects these same truths in 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Again, elect exiles. God chose you. God accomplished this gracious salvation through sanctification by the Spirit. Through the Spirit's work of setting us apart unto God. The fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within you makes you holy. It makes you sanctified, set apart to God. The Spirit's presence in us as God's temple separates us from out of the world. Just as these vessels and priests were set apart out from the people or other vessels, other utensils and tools. They were set apart by the very fact that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are set apart unto God for God's special delight, for God's special purposes, displaying Him to the universe. Do not be dragged back into the world and its way of thinking, and its perspectives. We are a holy nation. We are distinct in how we live and how we think. In fact, we identify ourselves as Crossway Fellowship to be a community of faith called by the gospel of Jesus Christ to serve and glorify the living God. You cannot serve and glorify the living God unless you have been set apart unto him. And if you, if you are a believer, then you have the Spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God, you are sanctified. You are set apart unto God. So the Holy Spirit makes us God's people by sanctifying us. Secondly, the Holy Spirit makes us God's people by adopting us. Adopting us. Adoption describes God's blessing of making us his children including us in his family, making us his heirs. That is, he by adopting us, God gives us an inheritance, and that inheritance is life, eternal life, glory. It is the Holy Spirit's, again, and we come back to this truth, his indwelling presence. It's the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence that makes this adoption relationship 
a reality. And there are two key passages that reveal this for us. The first one is found in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, verse 14 sounds a little bit familiar because it's structured the same way a verse that, uh, a verse that we looked at last week, which is, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And here, Paul says something similar, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So, if you have the Spirit, then you belong to God. If you belong to God, then you are led by the Spirit. And if you're led by the Spirit, then you are sons of God. Because we have received the Spirit of adoption... We are sons and daughters, not slaves. And being his children, we have intimacy and familiarity with God as Papa Father. Papa Father. It's a term of endearment, closeness. And because we can call him Papa Father, we have assurance that we belong to him, not fear, Paul says right here. We're not driven by fear of God, dismay. We have assurance we belong to him. And we know this because the Spirit bears witness on our behalf that we belong and have all of the privileges of sonship. The Spirit's presence in our lives ensures that. And we are expected then to bear the family name, even if it means suffering for the family name. Being adopted brings you into God's family, and you bear his name, even if that means suffering. So we've received the spirit of adoption. We are sons and not slaves. Now let's look at Galatians chapter 4 beginning in verse 4. Paul writes something similar here, though not exactly the same. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So here, our adoption is bought. It is Jesus' death that buys God's ownership of us now as sons, secures us, uh, to be provided sonship. It is the spirit of the son then dwelling in our hearts that makes the relationship a reality 
that we know, that we experience. Abba, Father. Papa, Father. Again, same, same words. And what Paul is saying is that we are sons and heirs through God and that we are able to be adopted. Jesus has secured the adoption papers, if you will, for us to take the name of God and belong to his family. But it is the Spirit who comes to dwell in us that makes that a reality that we actually know and experience. God could have adopted us without any kind of experience or reality to it other than him just stating it. But it is through his spirit that he confirms and makes us his adopted sons and daughters by, by enabling us and crying out, Papa, Father, in us. We are sons and heirs through God. So, there is an individual aspect to our adoption. Each of us is adopted as a son or a daughter into childhood or into this inheritance belonging to God. But, by each of us being adopted as a child of God, we are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the Spirit. That's why we call one another brother and sister. It is because we have been adopted into a family, this new family. We are, you could say, incorporated into God's household by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit makes us a people of God by adopting us, by making us a family. First, by sanctifying us, setting us apart, by adopting us, making us a family. We belong to God. We are his people. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit makes us God's people by joining us. That is, joining us to Christ. The Holy Spirit makes us God's people by joining us to Christ. That is to say that the Holy Spirit makes us members of Christ's body. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now before we look at the actual verses, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 10, Paul outlines how the church is a unity of diversity. There are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities, but there is the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God. He then lists examples of this wide variety of gifts. And he explains in verses 11 through 13 then how such a great diversity of gifts can still be a unity. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 11 then. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. These are the gifts. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
slaves, or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Okay, so it is God the Spirit who empowers and assigns gifts, abilities, these supernatural abilities to individual believers. And we are a unity because we are one body. And Paul really here is emphasizing the need for diversity in the body, not its unity. But he's explaining that the unity can only be unity when there is diversity. The whole body can't be a foot, he will go on here to explain. The whole body can't be a mouth. It can't all be an eye. It's not a body then. We are many members with many different functions, but we are one body. And how do we become members of Christ's body? What is it that brings coordination? If you think about the analogy that Paul is is using here of the, of the body, there's their fingers and there are feet and there are knees and there are hands and there's a mouth and there are eyes and ears and all of these things are coordinated. Even though they are separate members of our body, they are coordinated as one body still. How is it that we become members of Christ's body? How is this accomplished? Verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So in one spirit, we were baptized into. When you became a believer and when I became a believer, we were both immersed in one spirit. And it is being immersed in one spirit that we are immersed into one body. By being in the same spirit, we are therefore incorporated or made a people. We are joined to Christ as members of one body. This phrase, we, we were all made to drink of one spirit, is another way of saying received, this idea of drinking. We have all received the same spirit. We all participated in receiving one spirit. So the Holy Spirit joins us to Christ. And he does this regardless of all of the various differences that we might have on a, on a cultural or worldly level. Jews and Greeks, that's a racial divide. Paul says that the Holy Spirit has saved, has immersed both Jews and Greeks into one spirit and joined us to Christ's body. Whether slave or free, that's economic status and social status. We are all one in Christ because of the Spirit. The body of Christ is the body because of the work of the Holy Spirit. By our mutual receiving of the Spirit, the Spirit immerses us into the body, making us one. And secondly, the Holy Spirit creates then the diversity within the body that makes us function effectively as a body. It's the Holy Spirit who does all of that. He makes us the people of God by making us the church, which is Christ's body. Also, and lastly, the Holy Spirit makes us God's people by uniting us. He makes us God's people by uniting us. 
The Spirit of God makes us the people of God, and He makes us one. He makes us one people. One of the most important passages in the New Testament explaining how we are one new people belonging to God is Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. And it is here in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, that Paul reminds us that Gentiles were once separated from God. And that that was part of God's economy. That was part of how God operated. He chose out of all of the nations of the world, just one nation to be his people, Israel. And he gave them a covenant and he related to them. In other words, at one point, the nation of Israel were the only people group in the world that had a basis for a working relationship with God. And it wasn't that other peoples who weren't Jewish couldn't have that relationship with God, but to have that relationship, they had to become Jewish by practice, by faith. That were called, they were called proselytes. And so the only way, the only access to God, the only way to know him was through the nation of Israel. And that's why they were called a nation of priests. They were mediators of God's presence. They were mediators of God's covenant, this relationship to the rest of the nations of the world. But what this did was it created hostility between Jews and the rest of the world, Gentiles. And Paul tells us that those who were Gentiles were far off. That's the imagery uses. They were far off. But when Jesus died... When he spilled his blood, he brought us near. And he did this by taking Gentiles who were separated from God and abolishing the wall, the division between Jew and Gentile, and now making one new man, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15 says. And by one new man, what that text means is one new humanity, a new human race, if you will. That's who the people of God are. And by making this one new humanity, he made peace between these two hostile factions, Jews and Gentiles. In fact, the, the words that Paul uses is he killed the hostility. He did away with the hostility between the two groups of people through Christ. Now, Ephesians 2 verse 18 he says this, for through him, we have, uh, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Let's pause. This is, means through Christ, both Jew and Gentile, racial enemies, have access to the Father in one spirit, together. Being in the same Holy Spirit gives us unified access to the Father. In other words, what Paul is getting at is not that now, because Jesus died, and we are now both in the same, in one spirit, we have access, means I have access to him, and you have access to him, and a, and a Jewish person has access to God, and this person does over here. We all have the same access. No, what it means is that we together, as a unified 
people, as one new humanity. We together have unified access to the Father. Verse 19. So then you were no longer strangers and aliens. You used to be alienated, strangers to God and the covenant. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now let's just pause again. The imagery that Paul is using is of the temple, a structure. And what he's saying is that this temple is a household, another term for a family, a people group. And he's saying that the, the foundation are the apostles and the prophets, the same prophets, the same prophets that the Jewish people would have appealed to, their prophecies which pointed forward to a Messiah, a Savior. They also, along with the apostles, they form the foundation for this structure. Jesus himself is the cornerstone. In other words, he lines everything up. Everything depends on that one stone. But they are the foundation, and he's talking about the revealed will and purpose of God that came through the Spirit, through the prophets, and then the apostles, the gospel. That is the foundation. And we are being joined together to form a whole structure. To And what is that structure? The temple. It is a holy temple. Here's this word again. It's the same word as sanctified. We are a sanctified temple. To the, in the Lord, verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, Christ's death removed the hostility, it removed the, the, the division, the barrier, and it provided for the formation of a new humanity. And that new humanity is, is a dwelling place for God through the Spirit. It is the Spirit who now dwells among us. He is the presence of God, and He is building us into a household, into a temple. To paraphrase one theologian's thoughts, we together have access to God by the same Spirit who now dwells in our midst, and by the Spirit, God's presence is known by us and is made known in the world through us as a community of faith. That's what God has done. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. So this unity then, listen, this unity is objective. It's experienced, but it is something that is fixed. It is something that the Spirit of God has done and is doing, whether or not we were even knew about it. For example, when you and I became Christians at the very beginning 
we were first converted at whatever time that was in your life or what it was for me when I was a child. We didn't understand the Holy Spirit was doing that. We didn't know all of that. At some point, we have learned that. For some of us, it might be the first time we're learning that, hearing these passages. But we learned what he was doing, but he was doing it anyway. That's what I mean by objective or by position. The Holy Spirit was doing it and has done that. There is a sense then in which we are a unity. We are the people of God and we are united whether we think we are or know we are. But there is also a unity, a oneness in the Spirit that requires maintenance on our part. We are called to be united to pursue unity. Again, if the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There you go. There's the, the subjective side, if you will, or the practical side of it. We are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do we do that? By walking in a manner worthy of our calling. The calling is objective. The walk is where we have to put it into practice. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Are you maintaining the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? How you speak to one another? How we address one another? How we disagree with one another? We are to maintain this unity. It's to be a priority for us. Why? Here comes the objective part in this passage. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all in, in all. There you go. Even when we are divisive, we are still one people. There is still only one body. There is still only one spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father in all and through all. But when we are divisive, we are violating the unity of the spirit. We are no longer practicing humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another in love. And when we do that, we are actually violating a unity that the Holy Spirit is already accomplishing and doing. This, uh, we're called to pursue it. We're called to pursue it. This spirit-bonded unity is also how we face persecution and opposition to the gospel. Okay. We find this in Philippians chapter 1. 
verses 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now, both for Ephesians and Philippians, they're called the prison epistles, Paul is in prison. And in both of these passages that I've just read, Paul refers to him as a, uh, to himself as a prisoner. And that's why, because he, he's in prisoner writing both of these letters. And he recognizes that the Philippians are undergoing persecution and some suffering. And these verses, actually 27, 28 of Philippians 1, are the kind of the central thought of the, the purpose for which he's writing. And it is this unity or this oneness that Paul wants the Philippians to have. And if you read the whole letter, you see that throughout. That by being expendable for the gospel, they are going to be one people. And so he says in this purpose statement for the letter, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Very similar to Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Here's the objective calling. Here is the uh, the gospel of Christ, now walk, live in a way that matches it. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, whether I get out of prison as I expect to and come and visit you or whether I don't, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now, you're looking at your English Bible and in the ESV. I'm not aware of, of every English version, but I believe almost all of them translate this word as a lowercase s. And we use the word spirit sometimes in that way, don't we? We just have a real spirit of camaraderie. Or if you think back to when you were um, in school, those of you who are older and now uh, adults, I don't know if they still do this in, in high schools or not, but we used to yell at each other across the basketball game, the gymnasium. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? Okay, we use the word spirit that way. This uh, the French word for it is the esprit de corps. It's, um, so this attitude or spirit. The word pneuma wasn't used that way. We don't have any evidence of the word pneuma being used in that sense. So when Paul says here, standing firm in one spirit, he is talking about the spirit. In fact, I think this word should be translated as a capital S. I, want, I may hear of you. I want to hear that you are standing firm in the one spirit, in the Holy Spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. So here Paul then is, is saying, if you will stand firm in the one spirit who dwells in each of you and all of you as God's people, that is how you will strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. It's testimony. It's winsomeness. It's validity in the world. And therefore not be frightened by your opponents, those who are undermining the gospel, those who are attacking you and persecuting.
stand firm in one spirit. We can only do that because we are in the same spirit. Lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. As Paul closes this letter to the Corinthian church, he gives them this benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What a fitting way to close this message regarding how the Holy Spirit makes us the people of God. And once again, you can't miss the Trinity in this verse. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, meaning God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In other words, this is the fellowship, the sharing in common with each other that the Holy Spirit provides because we all share in common this same Holy Spirit. We are to share it in common. And, the, and Paul is blessing us. He is leaving us with this, this blessing. May you know, may you enjoy the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, but the fellowship with each other because you all share in the same Spirit. This work of the Spirit, then, is for us at Crossway the key. Listen, it is the key for us to walk together because we are one people. We have been joined to Christ we have been adopted. We have been sanctified and set apart to Him. And the Spirit is calling upon us and working in us to make us one. And to share in each other because we all share in the same Spirit. This is something that the world desperately needs. And it is something that will win the world that they will see, and whether or not they turn to the gospel, it is something that they long for. It is something that they work for. But the church and the church alone has it as we walk together in the Spirit. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you today as we once again take up song to bring you glory. And Lord, we commit ourselves to you this week. And where we have failed in maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, Lord, forgive us. Lord, cleanse us. Help us to see how greatly we need to bear with one another in love, to show humility and patience. And Lord, it is by this that the world, as fractured as it is, will know that we are your people. That there is something distinct and right and good and something satisfying about being the people of God. Lord, bring yourself glory through us, through your Spirit who dwells within us, not only as individuals, but as your church your body. In your name we ask all of these things. Amen. God bless you this week. Church, let's continue to worship through song.
singing out, singing in the victory, declaring Jesus' victory over Satan, sin, and death, and our victory in him.
Well, as you leave here today, do so in peace, knowing that our great King is truly sovereign over all. He is unmatched in wisdom. He reigns in justice and love. And as his chosen people, our hope is truly secure. Amen. Have a great week, Crossway.